Hey everyone, welcome back to New Slang. I'm music journalist Thomas Mooney. This is episode 141, where I'm joined by the panhandlers, that's singer-songwriters Josh Abbott, John Bauman, William Clark Green, and Cleto Cordero of Flatland Calvary. I hope you all had a mighty fine Thanksgiving yesterday, which yeah, I kept debating with myself on when to release this episode. Basically, all of last week, I was on Team Stay the Course. You release episodes on Mondays and Thursdays. Stay true to form and release it on Thursday, even if it is Thanksgiving. But as you can tell, Team just released it on Friday, eventually won out. At the end of the day, I kind of figured that if you're going to listen to this episode, you'd wind up listening to it on Friday anyways. Anyway, like I said, this one right here is with the Panhandlers. We recorded it about a month back in a Billy Bob's green room. And yeah, I totally will admit I was a little rattled because of the situation. Um, it was like really like the first podcast I had done in person since March. And of course, I'm setting up five microphones and there's a little bit of a time crunch. And, you know, you just kind of you get the picture. Anyway, I was fortunate enough to hang out with everyone way back last year down in Lockhart when they were cutting part of the album. It was really seeing like that process from the inside out. I think what's most interesting about being a, a wallflower in these type of moments is obviously you're kind of seeing how the sausage is made. But specifically, I would like to focus on like these two distinct things happening. Two things that are kind of like on opposite ends of the spectrum. One, you're privy to seeing the quote unquote like magical moments being captured. The spontaneity of a moment. The raw emotion of a performance that magic can form and come out in like a multitude of ways. And then two, you kind of see the practical functions of recording an album, finishing a song, and you know, just like trying to create a mood or a feel or just f figuring out how to wrap things together. It's not all goosebump inducing moments. It just, it can't be that. And when you're recording an album, much like anything in life, these little small problems are going to pop up that just need to be addressed and here is where like all that experience in the room comes into play. I know you're thinking I'm going off on a tangent, but I think that's such an interesting part of, of creating music and creating art. It's that part magic and part being practical. You're not able to utilize one without the other. And seeing some of that Panhandler debut album get recorded was really great. Seeing the organic nature come into blossom is a part of that magic. And it cuts right to the core of what makes this album really genuine. You know, right now it's really in vogue to sing and write about being from West Texas. It's almost as popular as it is to poke fun of West Texas or really to go like that polar opposite and try to explain why something isn't actually authentic West Texan or trying to explain someone's motives on why they're trying to cash in or something. I find a lot of that talk to be extremely foolish and naive. It's often comes from like an elitist aspect or like, or someone from not even around here trying to explain West Texas to West Texans. And I find that funny and there's, I guess a little bit of irony in there. This Panhandlers record though, it captures a slice of West Texas. And I think that's really important to understand and embrace. Josh and Will and Cleto and John, they weren't looking to write the end-all be-all West Texas panhandle, all that stuff I was just talking about record. It does capture a slice of West Texas. Just a slice though. 
It's just a slice of the panhandle, the South Plains, the Llano Estacado, the Trans-Pecos, and so on. I mean, how could you in 10 songs just wrap up all the nuance of a place? And again, I think that goes all to what the intentions of Josh, Will, John, and Cleto were, to capture these little moments, these vignettes of West Texas. And of course, you do get a bigger, better, and more vivid picture of what West Texas is when you start adding all the solo catalogs of Green, Abbott, Bauman, and Cordero. That almost sounds like a law firm, doesn't it? Anyway, I think you'll get more pieces of that puzzle once they start releasing more Panhandlers records. At any rate, we talk about some of those puzzle pieces here that they've carved out. Rolling in from the hills of eastern Tennessee is Hot Damn Coffee, a down-home company that roasts single-origin, high-quality coffees from around the world. I am proud to be working with the fine, hard-working folks over at Hot Damn Coffee. Their year-round roasts come from certified farms in Nicaragua, Ethiopia, and Tanzania. Hot Damn Coffee sent me over some samples the other day, and they've just been making each morning that much better. As a writer, there's nothing quite like taking a coffee break and having that anticipation of that first sip of a robust, fragrant, and strong but smooth cup of coffee. Somehow that first sip kind of just shakes all the frustration out of you. You come back energized and more focused on the task at hand. Check out the Hot Damn website at hotdam.coffee. Note that that's at .coffee and not .com. There, you can find more info on the variety of different coffees they offer, who they are, and learn how to brew the best damn coffee. While there, head on over to the Hot Damn Coffee Club. Their subscription club gives you preferred pricing, first access to new roasts, and delivers coffee to your door every month. Now, this is important. New Slang listeners can get 20% off their first month subscription by entering SLANG in all caps, in the coupon code box during checkout. I'll, of course, throw all the info and links into the show notes, but again, that's hotdam.coffee and slang in all caps for 20% off your order. Start your Hot Damn subscription today. Today's presenting sponsor is Desert Door Texas Soto. If you know anything about me, it's probably that I'm from the heart of West Texas and absolutely love everything about West Texas, and that's really why I love desert door so much you may be asking yourself what exactly soto is well it's a premium spirit that's similar to a tequila or a mezcal but for my money it's a little bit more refined and smooth there's a sweetness and faint hints of vanilla and citrus and it's also as versatile as your garden variety vodka at its core desert door is authentically west texas they go out and harvest soto plants from the wild and bring them back to their distillery over in Driftwood, Texas. So next time you're at your local liquor store, get a bottle of Desert Door. For more info, check this episode's show notes. All right, if this is your first time listening to New Slang, please hit that subscribe button. For more info on our Patreon and our merch store, check the show notes. And yeah, let's just get on to the episode. Here is John Bauman, Cleto Cordero, Josh Abbott and William Clark Green. Stuff and um, yeah, so I'm assuming this was not like the the plan going in. One show for one record for one year. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I guess like it's so weird doing these in person again. All of a sudden, um, you know, let's just kind of take it back to the beginning here with Panhandle Music panhandlers 
uh, obviously this is like so inspired and influenced by all the ones from before the, 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 the Terry Allen's and the Flatlanders. But was there like also like any kind of contemporary folks who were, that you kind of were considering as, as, as a panhandler as well to inspire this, uh, collaboration and everything? I think all of our careers inspired Josh, John, and Kletos. I mean, I feel like that's most contemporary. <laughs> that's about as contemporary as it gets, right? Yeah, and uh, I mean, I would say when I wrote This Is My Life, I did it. I kind of quickly figured out it sounded like a Jerry Jeff Walker song, so that's kind of how I treated it. Um, but I would say the majority of the record, I just felt uh, it just came naturally inherently through that influential process that you know in a domino effect kind of impacted each one of us along the way i mean john has sung about terry allen and the flatlanders in his songs you know and we all come from that region and so um i thought there was something really cool in fact to be honest uh cleto and john when they were writing their parts for the record i just kept thinking like man i feel like they're they just literally are related to Butch Hancock, you know, um, and Jimmy Dale Gilmore. Like, their vibe is just completely Flatlanders, and I think that's super cool. Yeah, well, um, I, I think what's, what's really interesting about all this, too, is, like, how you guys are. Um, you kind of have a, a different perspective on the panhandle. Um, obviously, like, Josh, you're, you're from Idaloo. Bauman, you're born in Amarillo, but you're you moved out. Cleto over here from Midland, and then you know you came to love it for, for but for <laughs> school. I mean, like, but I think like that adds all these different kind of perspectives on the same place. Do you you guys agree? Did you guys think about? I mean, Lubbock for me is where I learned about how to play music. Really, that's was the. I mean, that's where, I mean, it started in College Station playing guitar, but songwriters, so it was all Lubbock. I mean, that was my career started and was born there. And and that for me, it's just, that's all I knew musically was Lubbock music, you know. I remember I was in Lubbock one weekend. I was like 19 years old. I was visiting a girl there, and uh, Will was living next door to this young lady. And uh, I remember her telling me, there's a singer-songwriter that lives next door. And I think he came over and drank a few beers and played some music. And this is like the first time I've been to Lubbock as like, you know, 19, 20 years old adult, I guess. Uh, hung out with him, and then the next day we went to a, a tech football game. And like, lo and behold, holy shit, there's Will and his band like playing a big stage, Raider. Yeah, we played all night long that night with a bottle of whiskey, I think. It, it's just, it was just so crazy to see somebody you didn't know, but you felt like you knew him in a weird way and to see him working the next day. And that's where like I realized like, how many careers start up there and how, how fascinating it is. Yeah. yeah I, th- I, th- one of the things I was thinking about when driving up here was, you know, obviously this project was so organic in nature, as far as the writing, it came kind of quickly, you know, like you, you guys had planned on doing, you know, some covers originally and then kind of morphed into all these new songs. And of course you guys kind of cover a lot of ground. Um, within that as far as you know oil field and cotton and farming and um was there was there anything else that you guys feel like you wanted to check off the box this next time around like that you you guys have been uh contemplating about 
Like for the next record? Yeah, like that you just kind of yeah. were like thinking like, oh, you know, we need another. We should have a song about... For sure. Insert. I mean, I think we all still want to com- continue to tell some of these stories. Um, we wrote a bluegrass song that wasn't quite finished, so it didn't make the first record, and it's about this... I mean, do we give it away? No. Gladys says no, don't. But it's a really funny story of this farmer in uh, the panhandle, and then... Um, and we wrote a really cool song called "Where Cotton Is King," which is super cool, and it definitely get the kind of pays ode to the grit and the grind behind the, you know, the the men and women out there in the fields. But uh, I know for me personally, when we were talking about making the next record, which we have been kind of loosely, um, I'd love for a couple songs to be um, more of a reflection of something that people from the Panhandle in West Texas do, but doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily geog- geographically isolated and specific. So, like, vacationing in New Mexico. You know, if we have a song about a place in New Mexico, yeah, that's not the panhandle, but that part of, uh, of New Mexico, Santa Fe and Rio Dosa and all that, those are huge vacation destination spots for a lot of people out in West Texas. So I think it fits the vibe. And a cultural influence on Lubbock, for sure. I mean, Lubbock yeah. has a lot of New Mexico influence in it. For sure. So I don't know anything other than that. that I mean, that, that's kind of what I, what I wanted to have a couple songs on the record. I, I feel like, too, we could, we could do, as long as it's kind of like folk music, whatever styling, if you want to do bluegrass, front porch music, uh, back porch music. I'm just like, I think if, if, if it has its you know, roots in uh, just simplicity and stuff, not, not overproduced. Like, I don't feel like this album was produced over the top or nothing is very organic feeling. I feel like if, uh, I don't know, I, that's what I kind of liked about the project too. It just let us kind of think creatively in a different, mm-hmm. uh, outside of your normal box, like with your band and stuff. And yeah, um, yeah, like whenever, like for the next album, if we, when we get to doing that, you know, put a bluegrass song on there or mm-hmm. uh, a, like if you're thinking Eastern, like Eastern Texas or starting to be swampy, I mean, you could do like some like, you know, acoustic blues or something. I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I, I, Maybe even a cover. Yeah. Like we had talked about doing covers on the first, hell, the first That's record what was the record was to supposed be to be, yeah. We didn't end up doing one except for the, the Charlie Stout tune, which was kind of more unreleased to the public. So I think it'd be super cool to do a couple covers at some point. I like the panhandlers on tropical vacation. You know, it's fun now. West Texas boy in a play, out of place somewhere on the beach. Do we have totally budget? out of place. Do we have budget got, for that photo shoot. He's got a terrible farmer's tent. It's like blinding. <laughs> can we? Can we? Can we go to the Bahamas or something? That'd be hilarious. <laughs> Belize. That's where we should that's, go. That's, that's very West Texas destination. This episode is in part brought to you by the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. There is a way to help a support Blue Light and B get a sense of that normalcy by visiting bluelightlubbock.com clicking on the merch tab and getting some koozies a vast array of t-shirts and caps and yes even a blue light flag while it is such a bummer that live music is still on hold right now I'm telling you by getting some blue light live merch you're gonna feel better it just feels better wearing a t-shirt and ball cap and helping support your favorite bar. Again, that's bluelightlubbock.com. Click on the merch tab, get some merch. All right, back to the episode. Jerry, 
Jeff had a house down there on Ambergris K. Mm-hmm. I've got a Jerry Jeff Walker story that I'll share later in a second after. It's it's not even really a story. It's more of a, a note. Um, that's that's such a. Um, as far as like this year goes, these last couple of weeks, and obviously throughout this entire year has been pretty rough. But as far as Texas songwriters go, just these last ten days have been pretty pretty awful as far as like you know these billy joe uh shaver and uh jerry jeff walker passing and um what are, what are those kind of guys you, you guys want to you have any stories about those folks that you'd like to share i've got a, a story about <laughs> billy joe that uh, was not not my story but it, I, i'll never forget when i was first starting out um uh Seth uh, Seth James was telling this story on it was a I think it was a TXRDR I was on with him or I can't remember this interview maybe somewhere but he was telling me how big of a fan he was of Billy Joe and um, and he went to Hastings and College Station and back back then you know, Hastings you had to see release parties I mean yeah you show it was up a big you'd, deal you'd sign they'd line out the door and get sign records and and um, so he Billy Joe was releasing records at Hastings I think it was in College Station. And Seth James was a younger kid at the time, and he shows up to meet his hero. And um, and he's in the parking lot kind of waiting because there's no line or anything. And it's, he's like 30 minutes early, and he said, all of a sudden this, you know, this van pulls up, rolling smoke, you know, out the back. And not from weed or anything, just from exhaust. This junky van comes hauling out in the parking lot, slams on the brakes, gets out. He's a little running a little bit late. And him just thinking, like, this hero of mine, you know, lives... Now, this is what I have to look forward to, you know, but that's what Billy Joe was. He was a road dog and he didn't, he didn't care about any of the, the BS and he just wrote songs. And I thought, mm-hmm. and, and I think that was a, a lot of guys who start out have these kind of delusions of grandeur. And I think that Billy Joe is just, he just chased a song and, and that was a priority for him. And, and, it, and the other stuff, you know, just didn't matter. And I think that was a cool wake up call for him knowing that, you know, it's not these, you know, it's not what you see is not what you get in this business. And, and I think that was an opening light. It, it was a cool story for me to hear at that point in my career, you know, when I was first starting out. When I first started out, uh, so we put our band together early 2006. We started playing Blue Light. So it kind of became like the house band, kind of the staple college band that everybody was coming to watch up there on Tuesdays or Wednesdays whenever we'd play. And um, I don't remember if it was towards the end of 2006 or like 2007, but it was somewhere in there. Um, we were supposed to play. Well, then Blue Light got a call, and it was like, hey, Billy Joe Schaefer, and then we're kind of touring through, and their agent called and said, see if we could give them the gig, and I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, of course. Like, we'll open. Cool. So I think I opened even acoustic. You know, we opened for Billy Joe. His band then get up there. He was so cool. I didn't think he would even care or know who I was. He calls me up on stage, asks me to sing a song, says, what song you want to sing? And, of course, now you got to be ready as a young songwriter because if you get up there with someone and they go, what song do you want to sing? And you don't know any of their songs, you look like a dick. <laughs> so I said, uh, that's what she said last night. And his eyes lit up. Yeah. Yes. Turns around, cues the band. We play That's What She Said Last Night. It was awesome. <laughs> I was on this like cloud nine, cloud 10 level of being like, I'm in grad school. Tomorrow morning I have class, but right now I'm kicking some ass. You know? Billy Joe Shaver. That was one thing I noticed whenever he died. Facebook was flooded with people with photos with him, you know? I mean, more than any other songwriter I've seen yeah. in the past. And just, it's a true testament of who he was and how, 
how generous he was with his time with his fans. Yeah. Personable. I mean, everybody had a photo with him. And I thought that was really cool to see. Yeah, it's. Uh, I interviewed him probably like 2012 or so, and you know, talking to him about it, it was such an interesting. Um, as far as like how he was both like had like an ego about himself about yeah I've written these fucking songs uh, but also like very egoless yeah. like just I was put on earth to write songs and if I don't write songs I'm like doing a disservice to myself and I'm doing a disservice to God and like everyone around me and it do, like that was like such a um, it does go back to like what you're saying Will about like so often you, you kind of build up the romanticism of, of this lifestyle. And whenever you see somebody who's just doing it because of the music, because of the, the craft, like it's, it's just kind of eye opening for a lot of people. And like it, um, you realize like who's doing it for the, the right reasons, if you will. I mean, it's like Guy Clark said, cold dog soup and rainbow pie, baby. I always love that quote, do you want to be an artist or a star? Who is that? Is that Crowell? You know that one? That's a good one. I love that quote. You know, it's just... I used to want to be a star. I think now I just want to be an artist. <laughs> Seriously. When I first started out, I was like, oh, I want to be as big as I can be. I just now want to I'm have like, some... I really heard, just want to write my songs some, and do creative gro- stuff. Fridge full of groceries, yeah. <laughs> I got a quote from Charlie Stout. He said, well, Cletus... A lot of rock stars in this bar, but no talent. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Uh, You mentioned Jerry Jeff. I I don't really have a great story, uh, but I was was living in downtown Austin four or five years ago, and um, I was eating at this little oyster bar just not far from my little condo, and uh, Django Walker, I see him walk in, and... um, I was like, hey, what's up? So we start talking. He goes, hey, have you ever met my dad? And I go, no, actually, I haven't. Uh, you know, I've seen him in concert, but ne- never met him. He's like, come out here, dude. I want you to meet him. So I walk outside. They're eating on the patio. Introduce myself. Sitting with him is Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> so I literally meet Jerry Jeff God. and Jimmy Buffett at the same time. It was so cool. But I was that guy because they're halfway in their burger. You know, they're having to chew yeah. their food just to say hello. I felt like such an asshole. That's a tough spot. I made it real quick. Yeah. I, you know, obviously, you want a picture in that moment, but you don't ask for it. I just was like, it's super nice to meet you guys. Have a great day. And That's cool away. as hell. <laughs> it, was a, it, was a, it was a funny moment. It's funny. I love Buffett, and Buffett really started out as... I don't know if I'd want to call him a Texas songwriter because I'm not sure he's a Texas guy, but like... I think Colorado, is he not? I'm not real sure, but probably... You probably know more than I do, but... Like, him and Jerry Jeff were pals before the whole island thing started happening, and mm-hmm. it's like people give him a bad rap for being Mr. Island Guy, but deep down, like, he's a hell of a songwriter. He's got some badass songs. Well, I think he was, he was a big fan of the Texas guys. I, I mean, there so. was that one guy that wrote Volcano. And then he, he'd, try, he'd build, you a boat, or build a boat by Guy Clark. He covered that song on his record, which he did a great job. Is he Warren Buffett's... Nephew, he's not. <laughs> no, <laughs> I've heard. I've heard he is. And he's not. He's not. Well, I heard you're Pat Green's brother. So. Yeah, I heard that too. <laughs> I think if I was, I'd be a little further along. 
Rolling in from the hills of eastern Tennessee is Hot Damn Coffee, a down-home company that roasts single-origin, high-quality coffees from around the world. I am proud to be working with the fine, hard-working folks over at Hot Damn Coffee. Their year-round roasts come from certified farms in Nicaragua, Ethiopia, and Tanzania. Hot Damn Coffee sent me over some samples the other day, and they've just been making each morning that much better. As a writer, there's nothing quite like taking a coffee break and having that anticipation of that first sip of a robust, fragrant, and strong but smooth cup of coffee. Somehow that first sip kind of just shakes all the frustration out of you. You come back energized and more focused on the task at hand. Check out the Hot Damn website at hotdam.coffee. Note that that's at .coffee and not .com. There, you can find more info on the variety of different coffees they offer, who they are, and learn how to brew the best damn coffee. While there, head on over to the Hot Damn Coffee Club. Their subscription club gives you preferred pricing, first access to new roasts, and delivers coffee to your door every month. Now, this is important. New Slang listeners can get 20% off their first month subscription by entering SLANG in all caps, in the coupon code box during checkout. I'll, of course, throw all the info and links into the show notes, but again, that's hotdam.coffee and slang in all caps for 20% off your order. Start your Hot Damn subscription today. What's, what's interesting, too, about Jerry Jeff is this interesting thing where, you know, he wrote Mr. Bojangles, and that's like 68, and people, I think, think of him more as a entertainer than as a songwriter or as a a song um i guess like obviously he, he covered a bunch of people like guy clark and he you know um he was great at finding songs yeah that no one had heard yes them yeah his like, a and like, ear was incredible i mean yeah. he was recording gary p nunn and um rusty weir yeah. and all those guys but, but what's really interesting about that i think is that all those guys were really largely inspired by Mr. Bojangles originally because that yeah. came out in like 68 and that is like such a it kind of is one of those songs that helped boost up the the like the folk kind of like gonzo bohemian kind of folk music scene and all those guys who were from Lubbock or like Bob Livingston and all those guys of Los Gonzo they're they're all like panhandle guys too Gary P. Nunn and um I think that's a, such an interesting exchange between like influencing them, th- those guys and then like taking those songs that were inspired who like helped get those guys to start writing their own music and then like covering them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's such a, I don't know if a lot of people have talked about that, but I think that's an interesting aspect of what he was able to contribute to, to Texas. What I always thought was interesting is that he was from New York. Yeah. But, but, I was watching that same video you were talking about, about um, Seth James, and that's Billy Jeff Shaver, but I was watching another one on Jerry Jeff, and it said he was from New York, and I always thought, when I first heard that song, Mr. Bojangles, I always thought that it was very Bob Dylan-ish, yeah. like very much so when I mm-hmm. caught my ear. But like you said, he's known more for honky-tonk and stuff, but it's, he, he knew how to rap, you know. It's really bizarre, like talking to... Um, like Pat was, he was devastated the other day. I talked to him about, um, he called about something and he was still in tears over Jerry Jeff. And, I mean, he lived on his couch. And, you know, he said back when he was living on his couch, like he was, I mean, he was huge. And it's, it's funny talking to guys like Pat because when Pat was coming up, those guys were doing what 
you know, we're doing now. And he's like, he's like, Joe Ely's like doing the same thing you're, you're doing now. He's like, same places, same crowds. Mm-hmm. Like, it's exactly what you were doing. And it's just, it's weird because we, I never knew that. And I saw Jerry Jeff when I was in high school, but he was far along in his career. Mm-hmm. He was fairly older, you know. But I just remember seeing all these damn hippies. And and the, and the and College Station, Texas, at Wolfpen Creek Amphitheater, which you don't – back when I was in high school, you didn't see hippies in College Station. It, just, it wasn't something you saw. And so it was weird seeing the whole hippie and rednecks coming together like Willie did. And, and Jerry Jeff was a huge part of that too. And it's, it's interesting seeing Pat, you know, going through that, you know, of what I saw in Pat, you know. But that was his guy was Jerry Jeff. And, and, and apparently he was just a really nice guy to songwriters and wouldn't mind letting them crash on their couch. And it's cool. I think the lineage and the cycles of this whole, I don't want to call it an industry, I don't want to call it a movement, but just the fact that there's generational torch passing or this or that, but there's like waves of it and they just come. It's so fascinating to me just to hear that like, to hear that like a guy like Joe Ely was hoofing it at one point. You know, I know there was the Clash record and like everything, but it's just so, it's so awesome to know that this will go on for as long as an asteroid doesn't not take us all out, which could happen any minute. It's amazing. This will go on forever. And to be, I don't know, but even what we're doing here is, is, is a cool thing for this generation, the generation before, the next generation down. But I just, that's, that's one of the most special things to me about Texas rooted songwriter music, you know? Agreed. Yeah. Uh, also, like, an, I think like people kind of think of Jerry Jeff as, in a way, like being kind of like that one trick pony, getting that like one great song, Mr. Bojangles, and then kind of having fun doing a lot of the honky tonk stuff, covering a lot of great songs. But he also, like later in his career, kind of was, you know, he went into some jazz stuff and like he's gotten like um, some of those, like, have you guys heard like the Chris Wall covers, you know, like uh, he he's the one who did um, like Trashy Women, like the Confederate railroad song he did that like before them and um i think before them yeah i didn't know that yeah um and then like you know some like tom russell and stuff like that i think that's just an interesting thing where he's kind of like this octopus of like having just different arms going into these different kind of songwriters and scenes and yeah well that's what josh said he had an incredible ear for songs that he thought needed to be heard and they probably never would have been heard if it wasn't for him honestly i mean some of, the, some of my favorite songs by him that he's done uh, of other people's that uh, I still don't even know who those original songwriters are on it, but, you know, they never would have heard them, you know. They yeah. probably never were recorded. You may have heard them around a campfire and say, hey, man, that's a great song. I'm going to cut that, you know. Yeah, I think that's, for me, I know I didn't listen to, I, that's the first time I heard Guy Clark was listening through the lens of Jerry Jeff Walker hearing L.A. Freeway and kind of like being, okay, I got to play this a hundred more times in a row right now because this is the most amazing thing. Um, obviously, let's let's talk about like the blue light. Let's talk about like some of those the I guess the culture that's happening in in Lubbock. I think that what's it's really interesting to see how like a lot of this is happening in real time. Like you can see a lot of these people coming up to songwriter right now who are like the reason why they come to. Lubbock is because of y'all. I know, like, Cleto here has even mentioned how, like, one of the reasons why he felt like Lubbock was the place to go was because of, like, that. Can you guys expand a little bit on that? Well, I was thinking about it this morning on the drive up here. Uh, very much how, like, it's very crazy that 
one that you asked me to be a part of this band and I get to play with all you guys because I looked up to all you guys before I ever met you. Like I heard Josh's album when I was a uh, senior in high school and then I discovered Will and then Bauman. And uh, I just heard these great stories about this place two hours north. Uh, you could chase a dream and go to go to a real college, you know, and there was a, you know, <laughs> you know, like go to college and uh, there's just this place called the Blue Light that'll let you play. Your, it was Monday nights. That's all I ever heard about, songwriter night. And I'd heard you talk about Wade and Pat and all this whole lineage and stuff. And it's, uh, yeah, that bar, I, I, I can honestly say... Without Blue Light, I, I know for certain our band wouldn't have hit or taken off or anything. And the Red Dirt Rebel and yeah, same. It's just it, it had it had everything for an aspiring artist or musician to. You have people to listen to your songs, a bunch of college kids just like you. You have a place that'll let you show up every Monday and try to write a song. And before that, there it's like you said, the same thing happens over and over. You know. Pat Green was before Pat Green. There was like Waylon Jennings and Buddy Holly and all those people, and it's just it's crazy, man. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, like that picture right there. Yeah, look at that. But Buddy and awesome. Waylon and Tommy also. It's pretty cool. Probably playing at the Cotton Club. Yeah, I mean, I remember Cletto was. Um, he was. Uh, he asked me for a picture. <laughs> I think we still have the picture. It's, it's, oh, that's yeah. the coolest thing. I was watching guys come up that. And, you know, we got the, and Cleto, and he sees this now, that I'm, the road can be so, uh, it, it's just crazy. Uh, and it can take so much out of you. And, and you see, meet these young kids with Cleto, and you see this, like, sparkle in their eye of, of the, the wanting to know and, and, and the excitement. And, and you're so worn out, you know, but they, it kind of gives you a pump up because they're, they, they think what you're doing is the coolest thing ever. And you're just like, Jesus, I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Beat it, kid. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I saw that in Dalton too, and I, you know I saw that batch, you know, come through Blue Light, and I know John for a long time, and I mean, shoot, whenever, I mean, that was kind of your career kind of came. It was bizarre because I never thought, you know, I always knew he was, loved songwriting and did that, and then, and then it came out the record, um, and then it was like three or four years before your second record, right? Yeah, it was and you, like you didn't really tour that first record, did you? No, I had no, I didn't know how to plug it. Where what an XLR cable was yeah. or quarter inch, I don't <laughs> and know then, and then anything. He started, you know. Boom, taking it seriously and just, I mean, and then now he's one of my favorite songwriters in the scene. I mean, uh, I'd say him and Randall are my, I mean, I just don't think, I love, I love your song. Randall's, Randall's just so good. I just don't see how, how he's just not famous, but that's just me. I think he, he's going to be. Yeah, he's going to be like huge. <laughs> he's too good. Yeah. Like he's, he's just, uh, what's interesting too is like, obviously what I kind of go back to is seeing like the trio of I say trio but I mean like you and Randall and Dalton and like Benton and like kind of like you guys being young and like obviously a lot of naivety about the entire thing like just like the the piss and vinegar in all three of y'all or four of y'all and then like having Uncle Charlie Stout in the back kind of going <laughs> you know I don't know just uh do better now. Listen <laughs> now. Listen here, Cleto. I had a lot of lunches with Charlie Stout at Choo Chai that uh, you'll never get that time back. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. There's probably <laughs> probably a lot of things you probably didn't want to hear. Some good advice, some bad advice. Yeah, but uh, yeah, all the good, bad, and ugly though. I, yeah, I, it's cliche and cheesy as it is. Like I, it's uh, 
I wouldn't trade it for anything because, like I said, uh, to be here with you guys, I really do mean that. Like, it's yeah. uh, when you sit there and actually think about it, like you said, the road can be grueling and wear you down and wear down your faculties and stuff, and you just want to go to sleep sometimes. But then when you sit there and you get to think about it and appreciate it, you're like, man, this is so fucking cool. Like, how much have you accomplished? How much people have you met? How many yeah. amazing songs have you heard that no one else has heard? You get to meet people that you looked at. You just heard them. The only way I know you is through fucking your songs, like yeah. West Texas Vernacular, High Plains Alchemy. Yeah. I thrashed that shit, dude. <laughs> I wore that no shit doubt. out in my truck, and you know I was a junior in college, and I just to get here, play music with you, yeah, and it's it's, and you too, man. I mean, it's it's it really is. Uh, it's special. It's full circle, man. Yeah. But it's a fun group. What I remember is getting a John Bauman CD in the mail. <laughs> just like randomly and being like, who who is this guy? This, you know, mustache going, John yeah, Edward Bauman. picture. And uh, <laughs> your mother's worst nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> God, this career is a mother's nightmare. Uh, <laughs> <but laughs> you attention a long time ago. I just don't want to know. But putting that record on or that CD, that EP on and being like, oh, he's writing about stuff that's out here. That's always like such a, I think that's such a big thing for young artists to, to hear is like people writing songs about where they're from. Um, because it means like you're not just from anywhere, you're from a place. And uh, I don't know, I think like you guys kind of, you, you guys understand that. I think that this, this project, I think was the main goal, at least in my head, was to pay... Lubbock gets no respect or rep for being a songwriting city. You know, you always hear about Austin, Austin this, Austin that. And I'm not dogging Better Austin, PR. I kind of am, but nobody, I mean, it, the people in Lubbock, the whole community surrounds these young songwriters and they really boost their careers and they put them on the radio and they really genuinely help. And there's an ear for it. And you got to get the West Texas stare and you got to get through some things, you know, but that community is just an incredible bake, baking oven for young songwriters. And it's, and this is a great about this project is it really it amplifies what what's going on there in that city and, and that's what's awesome to me. That was Lubbock was the first Lubbock and Blue Light were the first place I ever felt like accepted and the first few shows I played there we you know I dragged some pretty sorry bands and I didn't really know what I was doing at the time that took a while to figure out but still felt appreciated and that was uh, pretty pretty special because I can remember playing Austin Saxon Pub and being and people just walking out you know and it was like. <laughs> You know, if I have to drive six hours to to play a gig and feel appreciated, hell, I'll do it as much as I as much as I can. You know. Yeah, I was thinking of a song for you guys. Need a, a high school football song. Okay, I think that's a it's good. Idea. Not a I think idea. that's a damn good idea. You need a what? High school what? High school football. Kind song. of a Friday Night Live story yeah. song, like yeah, like you know. two A kind of. Oh I yeah. like it. I do too. Let's do that. There's yeah. good imagery there. Yeah, I guess the whole every record can't be about oil and cotton. Yeah, I, <laughs> when we when we talked last week about his new record, Josh's, I I felt like maybe my I favorite lost you there for a Josh second. Abbott but you're all record. like you're like uh, I had mentioned how like that the the end song, the final song on that record uh, about the old men in the rain. I mentioned how like in Fort Stockton, like during football season, a group of old men would always meet up at McDonald's. They had their uh, they would put, be played on the radio, and they would pick every high school football game, like in West Texas. I don't know where they were getting lines at or anything like that, but it was like, <laughs> yeah, man, you guys are like, Dude, I don't know what y'all are. The old guys meet at McDonald's. 
before a game and just putting money down on like the Pampa Tigers. You know, they're going up against the Dumas Wildcats. You know, like that's that's the song. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Uh, Mooney. Well, small town McDonald's. You're not getting songwriting credit. Yeah, dude. No credit. In in the room. (laughs) Um. Yeah, I know. Let's go ahead and just cut it off right here because I mean, you guys are busy here. Uh, it's been great talking with you. I uh, hope hopefully this show is going to be not a train wreck, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think words. it will. Have be you ever a seen a train wreck? a train wreck? Oh, I know I'm this much. <laughs> <laughs> Are we still recording? Yeah, I'm recording still. But like, I would say <laughs> this is the most fun I've had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the most fun I've had. I mean, and and I don't mean that in any disrespectful way to to my career up to now or any of my band members, because, God, we have had some fun. But there's been a very different vibe with this project, band, group, whatever you want to call it, because our careers don't depend on it, right? When you're writing your songs for your own album and you're trying to worry about, like, marketing and you're trying to worry about, like, how many people are going to come to your shows and who you're going to open for and play with, it's stressful. And for this whole thing was like, dude, we're just friends. We literally wrote an album together. We put our friends on the album and now we're going to play live shows with all of these guys. And there's no pressure. I don't give a shit how many people are here tonight. And I don't mean that in a rude way. It could be 50 people, 500 or 2000. (laughs) I don't care. I'm, I'm just, I know that tonight is going to be fun. This is my life, and these are my friends. That's right. <laughs> I'm on the complete opposite of that. I have the most anxiety about these shows. <laughs> I do not want to be I'm with Will. I'm having a great time. time. <laughs> I'm just like, you know, my show is, I'm like, oh, I'm not a care in the world. My band's got it. And, and you know, you know, if I mess up, it's on me. And but this one's like, when you let everybody down, if you mess up, and it's like, Ugh. the weight for me is just like, oh, nah, God. we'll be good, man. We're all yeah, peace. Well, thanks for the interview, bud. Yeah, well, thanks, Sonny. Thanks, man. All right, that is it for this one. Be sure to check out the Panhandlers' debut record if you haven't just quite yet. Check out our presenting partners over at Hot Damn Coffee, Desert Door, and the Blue Light Live here in Lubbock, Texas. And, yeah, I'll see you all next week for more new slang.